Cancer is a symptom. Three, dastardly and immoral deeds. <laughs> this is Katie Morikawa. With this post, we come to the end of my series on cancer. The topic here, the deeply immoral decisions that expose us to powerful cancer-causing agents, reaches far beyond just cancer itself. We're going to explore the troubling realm of DU weapons before we take a look at ways to pivot from a natural response of depression or reactionary activism to strengthening the heart as a muscle, as a defense against depression, anxiety, overwhelm, and hopelessness. As I stated in my other episodes on cancer, I am neither a cancer researcher nor trained in medicine, and this should not be construed as medical advice, but rather as social commentary. The first two posts in this series, Cancer is a Symptom and Cancer is a Symptom 2 with Roots in the Heart, looked at both sensory deadening and dissociation from the heart as key contributors to humanity's continued reliance on materials and solutions, which use carcinogenic substances. Both posts offered remedies to reawaken the senses and to activate the wisdom of the heart. Now I would like to draw a much more explicit line between the closed heart and our increasingly toxic human-created world. We see this connection most clearly in the all-too-common decisions which place people in harm's way for the sake of profits, power, and convenience. While a relatively small, elite group of people tend to make the vast majority of these decisions, we as a collective permit them to go on. Not only do we shrug, look the other way, or wave our hands helplessly, but we continue to promote to positions of power people of very low conscience. (laughs) Brian Kloss has done some entertaining research on the subject of power and corruption and the ways most systems both reward and foster ruthlessness in positions of power. But regardless of Kloss's conclusions, I think that if you check in with yourself honestly, you'll recognize that some deep, primitive part of our minds loves and admires ruthless strongmen and women. Now, I've got a link to a podcast episode on Armchair Expert, where they interviewed Brian, and it will be in the post at katiemorikawa.com, as well as in the show notes here. For if we rose up with clarity and passion and said no more, we could change those social norms and institutions that prosper the unethical. We outnumber them thousands to one, no matter the vastness of their wealth, power, and ingenuity. But somewhere deep inside, we may still believe we really need that cunning and ruthless leader. And if not now, then someday and therefore that we should preserve its legacies within the human family tree. You know, this is all on the subconscious level, of course. They are very effective and entertaining. Let's face it, whatever you think about Dick Cheney, the man has chutzpah. And check out this woman, 
I have a link in the uh, show notes uh, straight to the image, and it's also embedded in the post at katiemorikawa.com. This is Eileen Drake, the CEO of a weapons manufacturer. She belongs on TV. (laughs) You can read her statement about the company for more insight or entertainment or alarm, depending on your mood. It's been observed and argued by social and evolutionary scientists that sociopathy is with us for a reason. It has served humanity's survival needs for millennia. But I believe we have a choice in the matter and sit at the crossroads brought here by the ecological crisis these social values have authored. And I don't believe that we would A, permit this shit, or B, reward the ruthless with promotion to high office if our hearts were truly open and awake. Now I've inserted a photo, (laughs) and I'm going to read you the original caption of the uploader at Wikimedia Commons. It says, Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, shaking hands with a fellow reptilian. <laughs> and uh, that, that the person in question is the pri- Russian Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev from October 2012. Um, and I will give you a link to the Wikimedia Commons page uh, in the show notes. And I, and you know, I've only included them because here are two incredibly successful people who are, in my humble opinion, high functioning sociopaths, you know, for better or for worse, for as productive as they've been. And that's the thing is we're really talking about organized sociopaths, the, the ones who have their shit together and they can, you know, move the forces, you know, the 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 disorganized sociopaths uh they all end up in prison um so (laughs) because you know they get caught um they're not smart enough to not get caught so anyway now as population pressures have pushed our modern cultural institutions up against the bitter edge of nature's resilience and we risk not only polluting the earth beyond the lifespan of our children's grandchildren and creating all new illnesses in our growing toxic soup, we are incurring grave moral debts, which one day we will have to repay. The implications extend not just to cancer, but far beyond it. It is a wake-up call for the eye of the heart. So in service to that, I am going to try to paint a clear, bright line to follow, even though the subject matter is grim. And I don't like grim. But if the devil is in the schoolyard, you had better be willing to point him out. Now, I've got a photo in the blog post, and I will link to it in the show notes as well. It's a rather uh, famous image. Uh, I've seen it over and over again. Um, the, The caption is, Fire controlmen inspect link belts of Mark 149 Mod 2 20mm ammunition before loading it into the magazine of a Mark 16 Phalanx close-in weapon system aboard the battleship USS Missouri, 1987. And there are two young men, uh, sailors, kneeling down on a deck, and there are these uh, two long rows of orange-tipped bullets uh, stretched out before them. And they're, you know, 20-millimeter 20, 20 shells. 
pretty big. It's maybe the length of your hand, and there's hundreds of them. It turns out that depleted uranium makes a cheap and highly effective armor-piercing bullet, conveniently recycles those hard-to-dispose and store leftovers from nuclear reactors and weapons, and turns a tidy profit to boot. We used a lot of them during the 1991 Gulf War, between 315 and 350 tons, per the Wikipedia article I referenced uh, for the beginning of that research, um, under then Secretary of Defense Dick Cheney's leadership. As a consequence, a whole generation of American soldiers and Saudi, Kuwaiti, and Iraqi men, women, and children developed an array of autoimmune diseases and cancers, though the DOD continues to refute and deny this connection. Of course they do. I have a friend who served in the U.S. Navy during the 1990s. I'll never forget his bemused descriptions of the big munitions they had to handle, all marked with the radioactive trefoil. He told me stories of the locals going into the desert afterwards to collect the spent metals for salvage value and getting sick and dying from handling them without protection. Despite international efforts to outlaw DU weapons, the US, UK, and other NATO countries continue to use them. I've got another photo here just for color, and it's the, the featured image for the blog post of uh, Dick Cheney from 1990. He's meeting with uh, various Saudi officials uh, to discuss the first Iraq war. And, uh, you know, a picture paints a thousand words. In the wake of the post 9-11 invasion of Iraq, the rate of truly bizarre and frightening mutations among Iraqi babies only continues to grow. Click a link below and in the show notes and look if you dare. And I'll just say I found even worse photos online, but I couldn't be sure that they hadn't been photoshopped. So I stuck with uh, reliable news outlets. We've got Al Jazeera and The Intercept. Most people in these bombarded countries, uninformed of the dangers, just rebuild on top of the contaminated ruins. There is a lot of spent ordnance. Six billion bullets, according to the U.S. General Accounting Office, between 2002 and 2005 alone in Iraq. Since then, the U.S. has made zero cleanup and containment efforts. And I just can't help but thinking um, about the Iraqi people. And if there's any people that would have a right to wish our end, it would be them. I mean, looking at their babies, it's not just one or two, it's so many. And looking at their country completely in ruins. Um, you know, I, I don't know when that bill is going to come due, but I fear and I care. Um, it's terrible. And, you know, I think that all the evidence points to the fact that Iraq was probably the wrong target. If we were looking to strike back against the 9-11 plane bombers, 
And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I can raise questions about, you know, was that the right response in the first place? I mean, you know, deterrence is one thing. Um, Yeah, so anyway, that was what I was referring to when I talked about incurring moral debts. Reading the Wikipedia article on the legal status of depleted uranium weapons is a depressing study in doublespeak and legal runarounds of an issue that is eminently clear to the heart. You would surely never have entertained the idea of using depleted and yet still radioactive uranium to manufacture products intended for handling by people and certain to contaminate the ground where they lay. If you did, you would certainly stop after witnessing the after effects of the first Gulf War, which included not just Gulf War syndrome among American servicemen and women, but a dramatic uptick in cancers and babies born with mutations in the general local populace. Rather than cover up, deny, and continue to authorize use of these weapons, Then again, I have known about this for decades, and I'm only now recognizing the moral imperative to do something about it. How often do we turn a blind eye, hear but don't act, make problematic decisions ourselves for the sake of expediency or profit or need? We are all bound up together in a vast interlocking array of systems and decisions many of them justified by utilitarian, economic, and survival imperatives. At this point, if you are sitting in despair and depression, you won't be alone. But I would like to invite you to pivot. First of all, if you are depressed, congratulations! You have opened the eye of the heart enough to see how sad this all is. Now your depression can become the motivating fuel to inspire you to go further. Indeed, what I am proposing may take you completely out of familiar territory, for here lies the doorway to a fuller life. This doorway is to strengthen the muscle of the heart. Like with cardio exercise, this work has many protective benefits, including improving mood, improving hope and faith, improving a sense of empowerment, courage, calm, and focus. Like cardio exercise, it takes regular practice, some effort, and discomfort, especially at first. But after a while, you'll grow to crave it. So here is the exercise for strengthening the heart as a muscle. Even if only in one small way at first, Do something for the sake of love where you might do otherwise for personal benefit, convenience, or in self-defense. Make it count a little. You don't have to take on this particular issue with DU weapons, unless you're called to moral outrage, especially if you went and looked at those babies. But do one thing that is a little harder for you. Here are some examples which span a spectrum of difficulty and areas of life, but I encourage you to use them as inspiration for finding your own heart's exercises. Pick one thing that is both a bit of a challenge and still doable. After you've made it part of your lifestyle, add something new in a different area.
One, pay your people more than you can get away with based on local market conditions. (laughs) Two, stop squashing bugs you find in your house, but make an effort to take them outside. Three, when people perform services for you, like waiters, fast food servers, cashiers, phone support people, and so on, Remember that they are human beings with complex lives and feelings and make sure to thank them sincerely and talk to them like a real person. Four, if you find yourself in a position to screw over the competition or someone you've contracted for services, find something more constructive to do with your advantage. Use your imagination here. Five, stop eating commercially farmed pork beef or chicken, pick one and replace it with locally farmed meat or a meat substitute. Share your choices and the reasons for it with your friends. Check out these Wikipedia articles for background information on intensive pig farming, intensive animal farming, and feedlots. Links included in the show notes, of course, and in the blog post. Stop eating magoro, sushi, and sashimi, and all bluefin tuna meat. Now, if you've listened to or read my Cancer is a Symptom 2 with Roots in the Heart, you'll know exactly why. You can go check those out if you want to understand why the heck that's important. (sighs) Seven. The next time you make an enemy, no matter the reason, find a way to forgive them and let go. If this feels impossible to you, hang in there with sincere intent until you have a genuine change of heart. This can be life-changing. Don't expect it to happen overnight. And on a related note, eight, choose a group of people you dislike severely and try to learn more about them. Lean in with curiosity and be open to finding ways to admire or like them. Hang in there until you can no longer denigrate them reflexively. And please do not also go to the opposite extreme of like pitying and making excuses. That's sort of the wrong road too, because you'll have a you'll have a reaction to that. So um, we're looking for sincerity. <laughs> These are just suggestions. Uh, things that have worked for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And with all of these, there's going to be like, you know, ebbs and flows, times when you can do it and times when you like snap and fall short. And that's okay. That's all part of the process. What matters is that you keep coming back and that you keep trying to do better. Um, Number nine The next time you're having a bad day and someone pisses you off, try to find a way to help them out. Be generous with your time and attention. 10. Commit to speaking up whenever your friends, in private, make racist, homophobic, or transphobic comments or jokes. Commit to doing it without canceling anyone without making more enemies, and without putting yourself above anyone else. You might feel utterly uninformed on the nuances of political correctness around the issue and intimidated by that, but don't be deterred. 
The climate is a little inflamed out there, but muster on. If you keep your efforts gentle and simple, this will go a long way. You know, resist the soapbox. (laughs) What are your ideas for strengthening the heart as a muscle? Put yourself on the receiving end of your efforts. Does it feel like love to you? If so, then do it. The way of the heart is not for the faint of heart, but it will reward you in ways that may surprise you. Living from a place of love is a gift that is freely available to all. No special intelligence, talent, wealth, or luck is required. Let me know about your journeys in courage, conviction, generosity, kindness, and forgiveness. Not only can we overcome the challenges we face as a global society by exercising the heart as a muscle, but we can enjoy the inner peace, joy, and resilience which are our birthright. So I heard the founder of Acumen, uh, Jacqueline Novogratz, on Armchair Expert this week. And what an amazing woman and an impressive company. So I wanted to shine a spotlight on them here at the end of this episode. They provide investment capital to support entrepreneurs working, quote, to build a world where everyone has the opportunity to live with dignity, unquote. She talked about patient capital, which takes the long view to allow a philanthropic startup to find its legs work through its mistakes, and develop an entrepreneurial solution to social problems that really works. I love the deeply pragmatic and still generous approach. Uh, She talked about how often she went into a country or a situation assuming she knew the best solution and figuring out through trial and error that the solutions lay elsewhere or having to reevaluate when the folks on the ground told her they wanted and needed something else. I liked that although she talked about learning not to impose her or Acumen's solutions on the populace in that all too familiar at arm's length do-gooder approach practiced by so many philanthropies, that she still cautioned against exclusively letting the people tell them what to do. There was this real sense of give and take and of learning and growing together. Um, It was the opposite of throw money at the problem to make it go away and appease my guilt and make me feel good about myself without really having to get involved or care or figure out what works and what's needed. Um, or, you know, of the one-size-fits-all panacea, which, you know, everyone's looking for, and that actually often leads to pretty terrible ends. You know, think of leave no child behind. Although most of their problems are overseas, they have a few here in the United States. I like this one called Level, which, quote, offers an innovative suite of financial tools designed to build wealth for low-income gig workers, (laughs) unquote. This is my people. Seems like everyone I know is in the gig economy these days. It's an exaggeration, but it is a topic close to my heart. The app offers to, quote, access business funding based on your earnings with 
flexible repayments tied to your income, unquote. (laughs) Sounds good to me. But there are so many programs, as well as leadership courses like this one called The Path of Moral Leadership, Hard-Edged Skills to Start Building a Better World. So listen to the episode on Armchair Expert. I've got links in the show notes and in the blog post. It's embedded. And check out Acumen. And I've also got a link to that. It's acumen.org, though. A-C-U-M-E-N. See you next time.